Why was Jesus born? Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the great faith chapter. It is not the great faith chapter. It is the great God of our faith chapter. Every one of those people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, can I just tell you, would tell you if they were here today, I did not have a lot of faith. I did not have great faith, but I had a great God and I took what little bit of faith I had and I trusted him with it. Why did Jesus come? Number one, to give us hope. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, the Bible says, now faith is... I don't need to ask you the definition of faith this morning, do I? Because Hebrews gives us the definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. I want to pause here for just a moment. The word substance literally carries weight with it, doesn't it? There's substance to it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, this is a a true statement. There is substance to Rob Redland today, more than there ought to be in some areas, right? There's substance to me. If I were to come down to this gentleman, I could, I could fist bump him, correct? We could touch. We could, we could hug. I'm here. He's here. There's substance to us. He can hear me. He can see me. Hopefully, you can't smell me. I did shower this week, so... There is substance to Rob Redland. And this is what the Bible says. There ought to be substance to your faith. It ought to be real. It should be seen. It should carry weight. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus came to give us hope. Now, this is not the kind of hope like, man, I, I sure hope that's true. You, you know, like on Christmas morning, I, I hope that there's $1,000 in my stocking, but you know it's not going to be there, right? That's not that kind of hope. This is the kind of hope that it is a blessed assurance that what God says is true, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he was sinless that he did die, and that he did rise again. It is the assurance, that hope is the assurance that one day he's coming back to rapture his bride, the church. That is the hope that we have, the assurance that this will happen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, my dad was a police officer for 32 years. For part of that 32 years, he was the arson detective. He investigated fires. Now, I could go into a building that had burnt, and I could tell you that there was a fire in that building. I am that smart. Rob, how do you know there was a fire in this building? Well, let me surmise the charred walls, the smoke that is still rising, the embers that are in the corner over there, leads me to believe there was a fire in this building. My dad, and and trust me, the, the man that was the arson investigator for 11 years before my dad never had one conviction. He literally would walk into a building and go, yep, there was a fire, and turn around and walk out. 
My dad went to special schooling to be taught the evidence of arson. My dad would be able to tell you really quickly walking into a building whether it was arson or not. How he had the training. He could tell you by the burn marks where the fire started, whether there was an accelerant used, whether it was an electrical fire started by an appliance. He would be able to tell you by the evidence left behind whether it was arson or not. Do you understand where we're going with this? Your faith ought to have evidence of who and what you are. That your faith speaks into the world around you. Not just here on Sundays, but in your home on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays throughout the week. That when your neighbors look at you, they would say, yes, there is plenty of evidence to prove that my neighbor or my coworker is a Christian. I was a youth pastor for eight years. And there would be teenagers that would come into my office and they would look at me and say, I don't even know if my own parents are Christians. People that had come to our church for years. I don't even know if my parents are truly Christians or not. Pastor Rob, you would not believe what goes on in our homes. How very sad. The evidence that they're leaving behind is not that of faith, but of sin. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. With who? Well, with God first and foremost. With each other and with the world around them. They had a good report. They had a testimony that their faith was real. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we as Christians, as believers, understand that the worlds were framed by God himself, by his word. Through faith, we understand that God is the creator. When we were missionaries in Wales, the country next to England, we had a lady that came to our church for about a year. And I did a series, Creation versus Evolution, Why Creation is True. She stopped coming to our church. She worked at a grocery store that we frequented, and I saw her there one day, and I said, hey, we've been missing you at church, and she said, I'm not coming back. And I said, well, why aren't you coming back? She said, and this is what they call it, and I love this, they call it evolution. And I'm like, what an appropriate name. You taught that evolution was wrong. And I said, well, the Bible says that it's wrong. She said, well, I don't believe the Old Testament. I believe the New Testament. And I said, well, hey, that's good. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. I said, the New Testament claims that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything, and without him was not anything made that was made. And she said, well, I guess I don't believe that either. I said, so you don't believe the Old Testament, you don't believe the New Testament, you might as well chuck the whole thing out. She said, and that's why I'm not coming back. There's no faith. Here in Hebrews, we are told that you and I as Christians are able to understand that God is the creator, God. He always has been, and he always will be. And we can put our faith 
that he is the creator. Why does the world seek to explain God away? Because if there is a God, then they're accountable to him. If they can take credit for creation, hey, we got here by a cosmic accident and everything else that is here, we created it, not him. But you see, by faith, we're able to enjoy our creator God because we know exactly who he is and what he's done. And he's good, I tell you. It goes on to say in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you understand that when we walk by faith, we please God? When we walk by sight, we displease Him? Can we not make that connection? It is impossible to please God without faith. That is what the writer of Hebrews says. You can't do it. Cannot please God without walking by faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, we diligently seek him. We put ourselves into our walk with God. We are diligent in our walk with God. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you remember who Peter was? Not that you were there when he was here, of course. I'm sure there's some old people here, but you're not that old. But you, through Scripture, remember who Peter was. There was an account given to us about Jesus Christ taking five loaves and two fish and feeding how many people? Some said 5,000. Others said thousands. That's a good answer. Because it says 5,000 men besides women and children. Some scholars estimate there were up to 20,000 or more people there that day. Remember that Andrew brings Jesus this lunch that he got from a little kid. This little boy. How did Andrew get the lunch from the little boy? Now, I will tell you, if I'm hungry and there's a kid that has a lunch and I don't, that kid's losing his lunch. That's all I'm saying. Andrew brings the lunch to Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus blessed it, and he broke it. And he broke it, 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 he broke it, he broke it, he broke it, he broke it. And he broke it, and he broke it, and broke it, and broke it, and broke it. Until 20-some thousand people were fed with five loaves and two fish. Do you believe it? Yes. yes, the Bible says it. By faith, I accept it. It's true. He did it. And the disciples saw it happen. Now, we know that they were commanded to sit down in groups of 50 and 100, and the disciples are passing out the food. Now, we're told that there's 12 baskets full left over, so you can surmise how this happened, right? Everybody is fed, and the disciples come back up to Jesus. They're all holding a basket, and it's still full of food, right? I mean, that would make sense, that the 12 baskets full, they come walking up, you got left, I got left, my basket's still full, your basket's still full? Yeah, and each one are like, wow, isn't this amazing, this is so cool. Remember what Jesus asked the disciples before he did this? What should we do with the people? You remember what the disciples said? If we had this amount of money, 
It wouldn't be enough to buy everybody a bite of bread. Man, we as Christians are great at that. If we only had more money, we could sure do something for Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need your money. Now, I do believe in tithing. Not because God needs it, but because it teaches us to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? However you give, you ought to be giving. It teaches you faith. Then they said this, send the people away. Send the people away. Pastor, the truth is, the ministry would be great if it weren't for all the people. Because when you have people, you have what? Yeah, problems. People bring their problems. But that is exactly what ministry is all about. Us fellowshipping and helping each other through our problems. Praying for one another, encouraging one another. He said, I'm not going to get rid of the people. Bring me what you have. What a great place to start with God when you just bring him what you have. You may be sitting there and you go, Rob, I don't have much. What a great place to start. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. What a great song. If you'll walk by faith. So he feeds this mass of people with five loaves and two fish. Then he tells the people they can go. Do you remember what happens next? He tells his disciples, I want you to get into a boat. And I want you to go to the other side. What would be the logical question if you were one of those disciples? That's a great one. Are you coming? <laughs> Lord, if we get in the boat and we go to the other side, what are you going to do? The disciples get into the boat and they start going to the other side. It's the middle of the night now and a great storm comes. Is Jesus 100% God, yes or no? Yes. Was he God in creation? Yes. Was he God when he was born? Yes. Will he be God for all of eternity? Yes. Yes. Did he know the storm was coming? Yes. Then why did he send him? Because he knew the storm was coming. Yes. He wanted them in the middle of the storm. Do you remember what Jesus did after he sent them? The Bible says that he goes up into a mountain apart to pray. You just said that Jesus Christ is God. His claim was, I and my Father are one. We are the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His claim was, I am 100% God. And I'm 100% man. How could that be? Because he was born of a virgin without a sin nature. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God the Father and with man. He is God, I tell you. And my point is being this. If God 
saw the necessity of going up into a mountain to pray, how much more do you and I as sinful, wicked human beings need to pray if we are truly going to live by faith? It needs to be done through the power of prayer. And so he prays. And the Bible says in the middle of the night, the fourth watch, he comes walking down off the mountain and he starts walking on the water. Now, we are told that he could have passed by the disciples without being seen, but he walks directly to where that boat is. Now, the Bible says that the disciples are afraid they're going to die. The wind is contrary to them. Now, I need you to understand, that does not mean they were rowing this direction and the wind is blowing this direction. That's not what that means. Any idiot... And I am not an outdoorsman at all. I hate the outdoors. My idea of roughing it is an old Holiday Inn. (laughs) The happiest place on earth is Disney World. I don't care what you say. That is my happy place. Out in the woods, up in the mountains of Colorado, It can be the middle of July, and it is ice cold up there. Ain't no way I'm going to pitch a tent and sleep on the ground and act like I'm homeless. I am not an outdoorsman, but this I do know. If I'm going this way and the wind is blowing this way, turn your boat around and go the opposite direction. What does it mean? It meant that no matter what direction they were going, the wind was swirling, and it was contrary to them. These are experienced sailors, and they think they're going to die. And they are rowing for their lives. When they look up and they see somebody walking on the water. Here's Jesus walking on the water. They see him, and they cry out, it's a ghost. You can almost see Jesus do this. What? Now, I'm the furthest thing from Jesus, but if I were Jesus, I would have gone, are you really that stupid? Seriously? Jesus stops, and he says, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. It's the Lord. And you got to love Peter. I love this. If it be thou, bid me come on the water. I'll show him. He gets a one-word response. I think it's the last thing Peter expected to hear. Come. What was that? (laughs) Hey, you're the one that shot your mouth off. Go ahead and come. John, buddy, (laughs) let's go. Uh Uh-uh, Jack, you're the one that said it. You go. Andrew, brother. Uh Uh-uh, Peter, you've gotten me in enough trouble already. Don't you love brothers that get you in trouble? He gets you in trouble, doesn't he? Yeah. He's up here talking about underwear and stuff. Yeah. But Peter does it. I'm sure he had more faith than what I would have. And I'm not trying to be funny. Wouldn't you do this? If you're getting out of the boat, there's a storm still going on. Jesus has told you to get out of the boat. Would you not test it? 
eyes, I'm on the water. But honestly, if he sinks right now, what's the big deal? What's his faith still in? The boat. Jesus didn't say, get out. Jesus said, come. So you could see him maybe kind of on wobbly knees, taking the first couple steps, looking at Jesus. And I would, I would guess somewhere probably close to halfway between the boat and Jesus. We don't know what happens. Maybe a huge wave comes or lightning strikes, but the Bible says that he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ and he put his eyes on his circumstances. And the Bible says that immediately he began to sink. Can I submit to you this morning that as Christians, the same thing happens to us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and we stop walking by faith and we start walking by sight, we sink in the muck and mire of this world. We start to doubt and question God. And we stop living by faith and we try to live by sight and we are sinking. And the world is looking for a people today that will be people of faith. That will stand up for truth. That will not deny Jesus Christ and his existence and the importance of his virgin birth. Peter took his eyes off of Christ and he began to sink, but I love what he does next. He cries out to the one person that can save him. He cries out, Lord, save me. Why doesn't he cry out for his brother? For his friend? Maybe to Thomas? Why doesn't he cry out to the other disciples? They're still in the boat. The only person that can save you and I the only person that could save him was Jesus Christ. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And I love what Jesus does here. The Bible says that immediately he stretched forth his hand and caught him. Don't read into this. It does not say that immediately he brought him out of the water. He says something to him first, remember? O ye of little faith. Now think with me for a moment. How much faith did it take for Peter to walk on water? How much? Little faith. It wasn't the amount of faith. It was who he put his faith in. Do you know there are people that have a lot more faith than you and I? They have so much faith that they'll fly a plane into a building believing that when they die, they'll wake up in this vast amount of pleasure. Instead, their faith took them directly to hell itself. How tragic and sad. Why? Because they died without Christ. We don't want to give you religion today. We want to give you a relationship with God Almighty, Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Was that good enough for your salvation? Yes or no? Then why isn't it good enough for us to walk day by day by it? I'm going to put my faith 
in Jesus Christ who saved me from an eternity in hell, but I won't put my faith in him for my daily needs? Doesn't make any sense, does it? He cries out, Lord, save me. Do for me what I cannot do for myself. And Jesus catches him and says, oh, ye of little faith. And here it comes. Why did you doubt? You were walking on water. And then you doubted. Why did you doubt? I was teaching this lesson to some elementary kids. And this little fourth grade boy, and you got to love fourth grade boys. I said, Peter is the only person other than Jesus Christ to walk on water. And this fourth grade boy goes, nah, my dad and I just walked on water. We went ice fishing. <laughs> That's called ice frozen water. I'm talking about water, the liquid stuff. Okay, you got me, kid? He's the only person. Here Jesus is. Why did you doubt? And then the Bible says, what does he do? He picks him up. What do you think Peter does here? Back on top of the water. Thanks, Lord. I got it from here. I'll I'll check you later. Mm -mm. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'm with you. I'm safest when I'm in the arms of God. When I am walking with him, I don't care what's going on in your life. The best place you can be is with Jesus Christ. Walk by faith, not by sight. Can you imagine, the Bible doesn't tell us, but can you imagine the conversation Jesus and Peter had walking back to the boat? I don't know. The storm's still going on. Maybe they saw a school of fish. And Jesus says, hey, do you see those? Yeah, Lord, I see them. I created those. You did? Yeah, I did. Wow. The water that we're walking on? Yeah. Made that too. Man, you're amazing. Hey, Peter, I created it for you. I created it for this moment that you and I are sharing right now. Walk with me. And they walk back to the boat. And when they get back in the boat, the storm stops. This is almost tragic to me. Then they that were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. You might say, Rob, why is that tragic? Do you understand what happened here? They had to wait till the storm passed before they would worship. They didn't worship him in the midst of the storm. Was he God before the storm? Yes or no? Was he God during the storm? Was he God after the storm? But they had to wait till the storm was over. They missed out on the blessing of worship during the storm. Don't ever miss that blessing. You might be in the midst of a storm right now, and you might be questioning, God, where are you in all of this? I have a seizure disorder. When I was in college, it got very bad. They put me on a medicine called phenobarbital. It's a barbiturate. It was causing me to hallucinate. Some of the worst hallucinations you can have, I was having. 
was awful. I'm sitting in a class called Biblical Poetry, and that professor has now gone on to be with the Lord. But he's teaching through the life of Job. And he's at the point where Job cries out to God, and he, he really wishes for three things. He says, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I would have died at birth. I wish I would die right now. I'm sitting in that class, tears pouring down my face, and I am angry. And I shot my hand up, and Dr. Nanamaker looked at me, and he said, yeah, Rob, what is it? And I said, where was God? Where is God in all of this? Job's crying out, and God is nowhere to be found. Where was he? And with as much compassion as he could muster, Dr. Nanamaker looked at me, and he said, I want you to hear me. God was as close to Job as Job's faith would allow God to be. Listen to this. God was as close to Job as Job's faith would allow God to be. He said God did not move. He was where he always is and always will be. And he said, Rob, where's your faith? And I just bawled. I'm sure every other student in that classroom was like, this is awkward. But for me, I'm like, he's still there. He's still there. After class, Dr. Nanamaker came over and put his arm. I am literally leaning over my desk, sobbing. And he just started praying. When he got done praying, I said, I couldn't do what Job did. Dr. Nanamaker, I couldn't go through that. And he goes, good. God's not asking you to. He's asking you to go through this. And he said, I promise you, you keep trusting, he'll keep providing. Stop doubting God. He would come to my room in the health center and he would pray with me and he would encourage me to walk by faith. The disciples would only worship because the storm had stopped. You know the other gospels tell us that their hearts were hardened because they did not consider the miracle of the loaves. In other words, just hours after he fed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish, they had already forgotten what God had just done for them and with them. They let the storm take it all away. Why did he come? He came to give us hope. The only hope mankind has is Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is so vitally important. I'm going to move quickly now. But that first point of Jesus came to give us hope, put your faith in that hope. He is our blessed hope. No matter what storms life is throwing you, he came to give you hope. Number two, he came to fulfill prophecy. Do you understand that all the prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah he fulfilled? I'm just going to give you a few of them. It would be a human birth. In Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, Satan, but he is going to bruise your head. He says he, he will become of the woman's seed. 
He will come as a human being. And Lucifer, you will bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. If I had a baseball bat with me right now, and I walked over to Pastor Dave, and I said, Pastor Dave, you don't get a choice. I'm going to hit you with this bat. You have no choice in the matter. I'm going to hit you. But I will give you the choice of where I hit you. I can hit you in the head, or I can hit you in the foot. What would you choose, sir? The foot. Well, why? Both are going to hurt. Why choose the heel? Because it's not a death blow. It's going to hurt. Here is the Adamic covenant. Here's the first promise of the Messiah. Adam fell, fell into sin, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam sinned and plunged the world into darkness, but God said, I'm going to send the light of the world. And Satan, you're going to bruise his heel. He will die on the cross. It's going to hurt, but he will rise again. And he is going to bruise your head. He is going to deliver you the death blow by defeating death, by defeating sin, and by defeating you by rising again. He fulfilled prophecy that he would come as a human being, 100%, 100% God, 100% man. He would be the God-man that would die for the sins of the world. Number two, he had a right to David's throne. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He would not only come from David, he would have every right to David's throne. Do you see what is being promised here? David really is the standard, even to this day, of the kings of Israel. We talk about David. And he would come through David's line and he would have every right to his throne, even above David. He would be God himself. Also from Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, get this, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will be the everlasting Father? Yep. We tend to do this with God. Here's God the Father. Here's God the Son. Here's God the Holy Spirit. I don't know. They're the three in one. Rob, explain that to me. I can't. Why can't you? Because I'm not God. It's shown throughout creation, the three in one. It's, my wife gets upset when I say this because we use it with kids all the time. It's like an egg. It's got the shell, the yolk, the white. It's got the three parts, but it's one egg. It's true. It's three in one. Mankind has made it in his image. We have a body, soul, and spirit. Water can be in three different forms, yet it's the same water. It's shown throughout nature. The three in one. He would be the everlasting father. He would be God himself. He fulfilled all prophecy. He would be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Bethlehem would deliver him up. And Joseph and Mary took that track. But she is nine months pregnant. And they get to Bethlehem and there's no room. And so the almighty God is born in a barn. With the animals. God himself. The humblest of beginnings. Why? Because he was a servant. The last thing I want to look at today is this. He came to be our example. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. I love this story. It shows us exactly who Jesus is and the way he expects us to behave. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. Who were the sons of Zebedee? James and John, the sons of thunder. John, the disciple whom the Lord loved. Did he not love the other disciples? Sure he did. Well, then why was John the disciple whom the Lord loved? Because John loved him in a way no other disciple loved couldn't get enough of him. He would be the one that would take his head and put it on the chest of Jesus. He couldn't get close enough to him. And so Jesus was able to show more of his love to John. You may say, man, I don't have what so-and-so has. Yes, you do. You have the same Jesus Christ. Lord, I want more of you. If you want more of Jesus Christ, give him more of you. And you know what you're going to find? He's going to give you more of himself. But he, attack, he expects you to take that first step out of the boat. He expects you to take that step of faith. Here comes James and John with mom. And mom comes to him, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. And I do believe she's thinking an earthly kingdom. Came to free Israel. He's going to be a king. Let them sit on your throne. I don't think she's thinking of an eternal kingdom. And Jesus answers her. But Jesus said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able, and he looks at James and John, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We're able. They have no idea what they're answering to. Sure, we're able. We got baptized. We'll drink whatever you drink. We'll go wherever you go. That's fine with us. They would soon find out, though, wouldn't they? James would be martyred. John would be boiled in oil. But God wasn't done with him. They couldn't kill him. Why? Because God is the giver and taker of life. Why did he come? To be our example. Here comes a mom that says, can my son sit on your right hand and under your left? She says, are you guys willing to go the distance? We're able. We're ready. 
Jesus saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of, of my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were moved with indignation. They're angry against the two brothers. But Jesus called unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they are and they that are great exercise authority upon them but it shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister and whosoever will be chief among you let him be your servant even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many Paul puts it this way in Colossians put on therefore as the elect of God holy beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Even if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Here, the disciples are angry. You think you're better than me? Who do you guys think you are? No, no, Jesus said, hold on, hold on. Listen to me. Whoever is going to be great among you, let him be your minister. And who's going to be chief among you? Let him be a servant. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ took upon himself of the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of what? Man. He took upon himself the form of a servant and that servant was man. Are you connecting the dots here? Do you understand what man was created for? To serve God. We are to be servants. And Jesus stops the 12 and he says, whoa, if you want to be great, then serve. Whoever will build themselves up, I will make low. But whoever will make themselves low, I will build up. He says, if you want to be great, then serve as I serve. He said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. And we saw him washing feet. This is the creator God. The God of the universe. That one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let it be so. And he healed. And he discipled. And he washed people's feet. Because he came as a servant. Why did Jesus Christ come? I know that Christmas gets the billing. We love Christmas. And the world loves Christmas. Do you know why? Because they love the thought of this little baby coming. We all love babies, right? How many of you ladies have ever had a baby? You've given birth. Many hands went up. But honestly, when that baby was born and they placed that baby in your arms, did you look down at that baby and go, hey, I gave birth to you so you could die? We don't do that, do we? You know why? 
Because we give birth so they can live. Not so with Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How did he give him? He gave him to die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus was born to die. But this is the simple truth. My dad is famous for saying, nobody gets out of this world alive. Not true. I hope, my hope is that I don't have to die, that I get raptured. But if I die, I wake my eyes up in eternal life. Why? Because Jesus not only died and shed his blood, for without the shedding of blood is no forgiveness. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He defeated the power by rising again. The holiday for Christians is Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection. The virgin birth is vitally important to our faith. I'm not downplaying but he was born to die. Why did he come? To die for us. It is not the birth of Christ alone that we put our hope in, though it is vitally important. It is his death, burial, and resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. For the grace of God appeared unto all men. How did it appear unto us? In the form of Jesus Christ, who was born to die upon Calvary. He suffered my sins to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. Church, my question for you today is, what are you putting your hope, your faith in? Are you walking by faith today? Have you taken your eyes off of Christ and placed them on your circumstances and you're sinking this morning and you're crying out for somebody to save you? You've put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for eternity. But maybe your faith is wavering today and you're just going, God, where are you? I need you today. I promise you, he is not moved and he's not capable of moving. He's right where he's always been. And his promise is I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why was Jesus born? To rise again, to defeat death, to defeat sin to give you eternal life.